Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 14. And Lord willing, this is our last message in the book of Zechariah. I did, there were a couple of things that I wanted to mention that I forgot to a minute ago when I was talking about the calendar. Um, one of the things that we're concerned about, praying about, is the coronavirus. And, you know, there are, there are preachers and workers coming from all over Asia. Um, that would include China, all of that area that are supposed to be at that meeting. So we've got a conference call this Wednesday to see whether or not it's going to happen. Because the, you know, the Philippines is really cutting down on travel and all of that from that part of the world. So really be in prayer about the coronavirus. And uh, there, I think there's been about $300,000 spent to put this event together. So to, to be able to minister to these men. So let's really be in prayer for that. And then uh, March 8th, that's while I'm in the Philippines, Steve Clayton will be preaching for us all day. And so if you've not heard Steve Clayton preach, you're in for a blessing, pastor of Salina Baptist Temple. And so we're really, we're really looking forward to that. So I wanted to let you know that Brother Steve's going to be coming to preach for us. All right, Zechariah chapter 14, and probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible. That, that's a strong statement, isn't it? Maybe the greatest verse in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 14, look at verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Lord and his name one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving me the privilege of preaching this text. And Lord, I pray that, that you are glorified in it. Lord, help us to set aside the cares of this world for a few minutes as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read that verse again. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, uh, in, over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. One of the commentators that I read about Zechariah chapter 14 is you can tell a preacher or, or, or commentator's approach to the scriptures by the way they handle Zechariah chapter 14. You see, there are basically two ways to interpret the Bible. You either take it literally or you don't. That's it. There are, you know, highfalutin words that are used to describe it. Some people say, well, we, we practice the allegorical method. And that is that these Old Testament passages where the Bible says there'll be a king and one Lord and his name shall be one, that that's a spiritual thing, that he's going to lead a spiritual kingdom. But it's not necessarily a physical and literal kingdom. Let me tell you something. Every bit of this is literal. Again, look at verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. He is a literal king. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6 says, my king shall sit on my holy hill, my king. That's what God calls him, my king. Then look at what it says. It's a, it's a literal king, and then he rules over a literal city in Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 35. It's the city. I love this. Matthew chapter 5 calls it the city of the great king. Amen? He is a literal king. In a literal city, not only is a literal city, but notice what it says in verse nine again. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. 
over all the earth. It's a literal earth. Revelation 5.10, the Bible says that we shall reign on the earth. We're going to be kings and priests with him and reign on the earth, a literal king in a literal city on a literal earth. And then notice what it says. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Not only is there a, a literal king on a literal earth, but he will reign on a literal throne. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's God the Father saying that to God the Son. It is a literal throne. And you know that it's called the throne of David. We see that all through the scriptures. Amen? He is going to sit on the throne of David, but I want you to notice a change in the name of the throne. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at verse 17. At, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of... Here, I'll wait until everybody gets there. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of who? The Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. It's going to be not only the throne of David, but it's changed to the throne of the Lord. The throne of the Lord. Let's, let's try to understand that a little bit more. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Now, don't forget, this is the day that God has marked on his calendar. Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 41. The throne of David, the throne of the Lord. Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now, remember, Christ is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And, of course, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he is asking the Pharisees who are supposedly looking for the Christ to describe who he is. All right. So verse 42 saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord saying, and here he is quoting David is, or he is quoting David from the book of Psalms, verse 44. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now look at verse, that's, he's quoting that. Look at what he says in verse 45. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Uh, Clarence Sexton, I heard him preach a message years ago called the day the question stopped. You see, when the creator of the world and the man who actually inspired the man of God, the man who inspired the scriptures, starts asking you questions about the Bible, it's time for you to say, like Roberto Duran, no mas. <laughs> no mas. Can't do it anymore. And that's what they did from that point on. But Jesus Christ is not only going to sit on the throne of David, but will be changed to the throne of the Lord. What a blessing that is. Look at Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Man, this is going to be such an exciting day when Jesus Christ is the king. 
When Jesus Christ is seated on his throne, what a blessing. Revelation chapter 16. You know what? Uh, I, I gave you the wrong verse. We need to be Revelation chapter 11. Lord willing, we'll get to Revelation 16. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And what we're looking at here is where the Bible says he's going to be king over the whole earth. Revelation 11 and verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? That is what is coming. Now, look at Psalm chapter 47. Psalm 47. The Bible describes this. Look at verse 1. How many of you are a little tired today? A little tired today? A little distracted? Let's ask the Lord to just focus on the day that he's going to be king. This, this is the culmination of all the work that we've done through the book of Zechariah and who Jesus is. So now look at this. Revela- I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is, wow, terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. And we're going to see how terrible this is when we get back to Zechariah chapter 14. Look at verse 6. We're in Psalm 47 and verse 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. We're going to see that again in a minute. The way this all ties together. He is our king. Isn't that a blessing? Now, who is this king? Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Who is this king? Look at verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Who is this king? This king is the one that they crucified. This king is the one who has been pierced. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Who is this king? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Get Zechariah chapter 14 and Ephesians chapter 4. Zechariah 14 and Ephesians chapter 4. Zechariah 14 and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth and over all the earth. And that day. 
There shall be one Lord and his name one. Do y'all see that? In that day, there shall be one Lord and his name one. Of course, keep your place in Zechariah. Come back to Ephesians chapter four. Look at verse five. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You know that we have seven dispensations. We have an Old Testament, a New Testament. We have the the covenants that God made with Israel. We have the grace that God gave to us in this church age. All of that and all of the distinct teachings. We understand, we have to understand whose mail we're reading. What is the context? But I can tell you this, there's coming a day where it's all going to come together. And there's one Lord. There's one Lord. There's one King. I want you to notice something very interesting. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Such an important verse in the Bible. Now, how many of you know that Jesus Christ is king? Amen? But how many of you noticed that the world seems to be messed up? And we all confront it. We live in this world, whether it's sickness or or trouble or finances or whatever. It's a mess. Look at what it says in verse 8. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Isn't that a blessing? That Jesus Christ is above all. He's over all. He's in you all. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. But look at the rest of verse 8. But now, do you see that word now? That's a time word. It's so important to understand these time words. But now we see not, what's that next word? Yet, another time word, all things put under him. Look at the end of the, look at, let's read that part again. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Jesus Christ is king, but he is not reigning as king right now. Who's the God of this world right now? He's the prince of this world. The prince of the power of the air, the Bible says. When he offered Jesus at the temptation, the kingdoms of this world, Jesus didn't tell him he couldn't give him those. Why? Because we see not yet all things put under his feet. But one day, one day. They will be one king, one Lord. Now, keep your place here in the New Testament, but go back to Zechariah chapter 12. I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 14. Look at what it says in verse 9 again. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. One Lord and his name one. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. Of course, Satan hates this verse, and so he has removed it from many of the modern translations of the Bible. I was in a meeting with John Phillips, the commentator, one time, and I don't remember what verse it was, but he read the scriptures, and he was a little man from England, an amazing preacher and commentator. And he leaned into the pulpit. He said, now, this verse has been removed from some of your Bibles. You might want to ask, why? <laughs> it was awesome. Look at 1 John 5, 7. 
For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and you know that's Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, words were with God, Word was God. And the Holy Ghost, and these three are what? Three and one, one and three. And the one in the middle died for me. Man, there's no way to understand the Godhead. Don't even try. How can there be three and yet they're one and there's one and yet there are three? We can't understand that. Why? Because our minds are finite and God is infinite. But we can believe the statement. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And go back to Zechariah and I want you to see this. Remember when Philip asked Jesus, he said, show us the father. And he said, I've been with you so long, still you don't know. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. The Bible in the, in, in the book of Hebrews says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Then the Bible says that he is the express image of the father. If you want to see the father, look to Jesus but look at what it says in, in Zechariah. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that it, over all the earth. How many of you notice I'm having a hard time stopping right there? In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Folks, let me just tell you something. The one Lord is not the Lord of your own making. It is the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe. It is not Allah. It's not Mary. It's not the Pope. It's not any of these false religions. It's not the God of, of the Pentecostal holiness that doesn't believe in the Trinity. It's one Lord. One Lord. And his name is one. And it's interesting. We live in a time that when the preacher stands up and says, it's not the God of the Pope. It's not the God of Islam. It's not the God of the oneness Pentecostals. You know what happens? People who love the Lord get offended. Well, I can tell you what. If you're saved, you won't be offended in that day. Why? Because God has given him a name that's above every name. And that name is Jesus. We are going to bow before him in that day. And he is going to be the king of the world. Man, I wish there's that preacher who did that message. You need to Google it if you haven't. The, the, my king. And it gives all the different names for Jesus. And he says, and he's my king. Is he your king? See, we're all going to bow. The Bible says that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Why did God do that? Because he died on the cross for you and for me. It says, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. That's, a, that's Philippians chapter two. And given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the father. And I'm just telling you, Muhammad's going to bow. Krishna is going to bow. Hitler is going to bow. Every one of these religions, it doesn't matter. Mary Baker Eddy, she's going to bow. Uh, Russell, the, the founder of Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, he's going to bow. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons. And the, they don't believe in the Godhead. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're going to bow before that one Lord, who is our king? That's who is coming. That's why this is the key. This is the verse. This is the date that God has marked on his calendar. He's the king. 
He's our king. He's coming back. Boy, we get so distracted by the world and we're so upset about false religions. Let me just tell you, they're all going to fall aside. All of our troubles will be gone. We're going to be out of this world. And when we return, we are going to be like him. Man, I can't wait for this body of flesh to be gone. I'm tired of being a sinner. I'm tired of my failings. I'm tired of disappointing my Lord and disappointing people that love me. I'm tired of this flesh. But one day, it's going to change. We're going to be like him, folks. We're going to be like him. Sometimes I wonder, do we love this world too much? Do we love it just too much? One Lord, one God, one name. People will say, well, you have your religion and I have my religion. No, you either have a Lord or you don't. And you're going to bow willingly or you're going to bow un. Willingly. He loves us so much. Listen, that king is pierced. That king has been wounded. But that king that's coming back, he's the one that that message has been woven all through the scriptures. For every one promise of his first coming, there are eight promises of his second coming. And we need to look for that day. Man, if you're in trouble right now, you're going through hard times, just look up. Just look up. Look to the hills from whence cometh my help. Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what Zechariah is all about. He is not finished with his people. He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. And we are going to rule and reign with him. He is coming back. He is the one king. That's who we pray for. That's who we worship. That's who we honor. And folks, it's worth it. He is worthy. Because what does he bring us? Not only do we have the opportunity to worship him in perfect peace, but we have the opportunity to worship him in perfect safety. Look at what God does for Israel. Zechariah chapter 14, look at verse 10. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimen south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gates to the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's wine presses. All of that description, that's all of, that's all of Jerusalem. All of it. It's all going to be done. But notice what it says, that it's all going to be as a plain. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 10? What's interesting is that is the place from the northern part of the kingdom all the way to the south. So that valley that runs all the way through Jerusalem, down through the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest depression, the lowest elevation on the face of the earth. What's God going to do? He's going to raise it up. And it's all going to be as a plane. I love the way it says it right here in verse 10. It shall be turned as a plain. Right now it's all desert. That earthquake that takes place, look at verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. The Bible talks about this great earthquake that takes place. And do you know what happens to that plain, that lowest spot in the world? 
it gets turned over. And what was a desert is now a garden. And out of the throne flows water. And it becomes a paradise. How long does it take? Look in verse 8. Verse 7. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. How long is it going to take? One day. Amazing. Verse 11. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Has anyone ever been to Jerusalem? You don't feel safe. When are the missiles going to come? Was it? it hasn't been safe since eighty seventy, when Vespasian had seized it and, and Nero had died and then, then Otho and these other emperors had fallen away. And so Vespasian leaves his son Titus to, to siege the city and then they completely and utterly destroy it. Then there's another revolt in 135 and it's completely leveled. From that point on, no one has ever dwelt in Jerusalem in safety. But it's going to be safe. It's going to be safe. Look at what it says in verse 12. Why will it be safe? And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Now look at this description. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. So notice the first thing, their flesh. Their flesh is just going to melt away from them. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. This is what happens when the king comes. Second Peter chapter two, and look at verse eighteen. It's talking about these false teachers <clears throat> and what they're doing. For when they so Second Peter chapter two and verse eighteen, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through the wantonness of those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. What God is going to do when He comes. Because people live in the wantonness of their flesh, what is that? The complete depravity. It's amazing how many Christians are consumed by their flesh. They, they have no self-control at all. Now, here's the good news. Anybody saved here? Are you saved? You're not going to be here for this. Well, you will be. You just be behind him. <laughs> The world is so unbelievably fleshly. Think about this. We have people who traffic in children to abuse them. Is there anything more depraved than harming children in that way? You adults, I want you to think about this for a minute. Dwell on it. For a minute. If it doesn't disgust you and make you angry, 
then you've got something wrong with you. And yet we have, we have people in our government on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, who refuse to do anything with a border to stop that. A large percentage of, the ch- percentage of the children that are brought across the border are not the children of the people who are bringing them. It's human trafficking. It's wicked. That flesh, it's terrible. And remember what paganism does. See, the thing that elevated the plight of the child was Jesus Christ. If you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better for you that a millstone be tied about your neck and you'd be cast in the sea. One of the greatest indictments on our nation is this term, a repeat child offender. That's the flesh. That's what the flesh is. And as a nation and as a culture, what we're doing is we're returning to that paganism where children are objects to be used and women are objects to be used and owned. That's what human trafficking is. That's what that human slavery is that goes on in Islam. That's what goes on in these pagan cultures. Christianity is what elevated people from that. And as the influence of Christianity is diminished in the world, the flesh is rising again and taking over the world. And Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when Jesus Christ returns, that flesh will be consumed and it will melt off of their bodies. And if this was on the YouTube and if this was on the Internet, people would mock it and think we're happy about that. But these are the people who want the human traffickers to continue. These are the people who want the pedophiles to be able to have access to the children. We're the ones saying no more. No more. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus said. You see, when we understand just how bad the flesh is and how it's Christianity that preserves the culture. It's Christianity that exalts the nation. It's Christianity that helps us to understand what the world is supposed to be as we lose our courage, as we lose our influence, as we lose our boldness, and we're afraid to call sin, sin. That all of this rises around us, and then we bemoan it and say, why is the world so bad? Can you imagine how bad the world will be when every Christian in the world is taken out? That's the flesh that's consumed. But notice the flesh comes and is consumed first. Then the eyes in their holes. Why? Look at their, look at our second Peter chapter two. Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam. Just wickedness, sin, adultery. Is that the world that we live in? And so the eyes will be consumed. Go to Revelation chapter 16. I told you we were going there. Revelation chapter 16. The 
flesh is consumed and then the eyes in their holes and then the tongue. Why is the tongue going to be consumed? Look at verse 9, Revelation 16 and verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain, look, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. The only thing that it takes is repentance. It's all it takes. And they refuse to do it. And so the flesh is consumed. The eyes are consumed. The tongue is consumed in their mouth. Go back to Zechariah. Chapter 14, verse 13, and it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And this is, go back to uh, chapter 12, Revelation, I'm sorry, Zechariah 12. Remember, there's repetition going on about how this is happening. So this is, this is what Jesus says is going to, or what the word says is going to happen there. Verse 4, And that day saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment, and his rider with madness. His rider with madness. And so what happens is the madness comes, and these, these people that are trying to fight against the Lord begin fight, fighting against each other. That's what's happening in Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 14, Go back to Zechariah 14, 14. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. Verse 15. And so shall the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. So that same plague is going to go on the animals. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. What's going on here? So in Matthew chapter 25, we don't have time to look at it. We've looked at it in the past. You have the judgment of the nations. And so when the Son of Man shall come and he'll sit on the throne of his glory, then shall be gathered all, before him all nations, and he's going to judge them. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And remember, he's going to say, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they said, wherein did we feed you? And Jesus said, when you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so those who helped Jerusalem, they go into the kingdom. Those who did not, they go into everlasting judgment. But that's the leader's. Many of the people who have survived the millennium, who survived the wars from all of those nations, they go into the kingdom and now they have the opportunity because of the grace and mercy of God to worship him. But they've ceased to be nations. They're not named anymore. There's only one nation other than Israel that's named at that time because they cease to be nations. We'll see that in a second. Look at what it says in verse they keep the Feast of Tabernacles, but I don't have time to go through all of the feasts. We've done it many times, but the Feast of Tabernacles represents when Jesus Christ will come 
and dwell with his people for a thousand years. And so now they keep that feast for how long? A thousand years. Verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship who? I love that capital right there. Isn't that good? And who is that king? Look at the next title. The Lord of hosts. Even upon them shall be no rain. So what's he going to do? Remember, the whole world becomes a lush garden, except for those people that don't want to serve God and then they don't get rain. They can't live. Look at verse uh, 18. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague. Notice it says that Egypt, it doesn't rain in Egypt, so God can't judge them by no rain. It's interesting, isn't it? And yet Egypt is one of the only nations that's still called a nation. That means that somehow during the tribulation, the nation of Egypt helps Israel. Such an interesting thing. So what does God do? Verse 18, and if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. How many of you think that that Jesus wants them to keep the feast of tabernacles? Why? Because Jesus is there. Now, here we go. Here's the end of Zechariah. Not the end of the sermon. Don't get excited. In that day, shall there be upon the bells... Of the horses. Do you see how that's all in block letters? Holiness unto the Lord. Now, on, on the bells of the horses is going to be holiness to the Lord. Now, that's cool, right? What is the point of that? Holiness unto the Lord was on the plate, the golden plate that was underneath the linen cover of the high priest. Listen. Only one man had that title. Only one man was able to carry that. That was the high priest of the nation of Israel. Only one man. In the kingdom, it's even going to be on the horses. Because there's no distinction between sacred and secular. Everything is holiness to the Lord. The world that I was just describing with the degradation of children and of women and the abuse that takes place, the sickness, just the vileness of this world, it's all done. The horses, the most common thing. Look, look, let's read on in that verse. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. What is this? Just the most common thing is going to be like the greatest thing because it's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. It all belongs to him and it's all holy. Yea, and every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. That's the last verse of the book. No more Canaanites. You know what God says? The book of Zechariah, Zechariah's name means the Jehovah remembers. He remembered what the Canaanites did to God's people. And he remembers that they never drove the Canaanites out like they were supposed to. 
And so just as the final statement in the book of Zechariah, when Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom, there's no more Canaanites. Now, I want to be careful about something. There are people who believe, remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, where, uh, let's look at it. Go to Genesis chapter 9 with me. And we're just about done. I just want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding here. So look at what it says in verse 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. So God had already blessed Ham, so he couldn't curse Ham. So he cursed his son, Canaan. And that's the foundation of the Canaanites. There is, a, there is a teaching that is really satanic, and that is that black people are the Canaanites. That is blatantly unscriptural. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, we are of all of one blood. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race, color, doesn't matter. This is talking about a specific nation of people, not a race of people. And do you know what happens? They're just gone. That's what it says. Why? Because God is serious. So what should a Canaanite do? First of all, we don't really even know who the Canaanites are now. Right? I, I saw this guy, I was watching, selling, advertising speakers. And he said he had taken one of those DNA tests and his pie chart came back 98% white trash. <laughs> I don't have any idea what my race is. You know, each individual, y'all know what I'm talking about? But whoever these Canaanites are, they're gone. Amen. Now, here's what's really important. The Bible says that that queen of Sheba will rise up. They're, she's going to be in heaven with us. We're, we're, we're all together. The race is not the issue. Those Canaanites are gone. Amen. What does that mean? Down to the smallest, tiniest detail, believe God. And don't bring your prejudice to the Bible. Amen. Here's what I want us to do. We're done. That's the book of Zechariah, but go back to chapter 14. Let's all stand together. And let's read verse 9 out loud. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9. Everyone, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Folks, that's what we're looking forward to. Do you know what the church is supposed to be? The church is supposed to be heaven come down. You see, at Grace Baptist Church, Jesus Christ should be king. We should have one Lord and one faith and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is in all and above all 
through all. That's who we are to worship here at Grace Baptist Church. Not the influence of any outside culture, not the influence of any outside preacher, not the influence of any ideas that you and I have. But under the rule and authority of the word of God, we are to be the people of God, worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. We see not yet all things put under his feet. And yet for us, we can put everything under his feet. We sing that song, I surrender all. When what we really mean is I surrender one-tenth. You see, everything we have, everything we are, everything we do needs to be brought under the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ. Let's worship him. Let's serve him. Let's love him. And let's, let's, with the Apostle John, say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for this amazing book of Zechariah. Lord, you're not done with your people. Lord, you, you, you deserve all the glory that is.